We've talked about a lot of things on the show. We've talked about murderers, monsters, and cults, but we've never really touched on the occult. So what is the occult? Merriam-Webster defines the occult as, quote, supernatural, mystical, or magical beliefs, practices, or phenomena. So, magic, or the practice of magic. Arkansas has a relatively large population of people who are involved with the occult. I mean, just go to Eureka Springs. They're filled to the brim with witchy shops and all that kind of stuff. But here in Mina, where the Washita podcast is based out of, we have Reiki masters, energy workers, and even an apothecary slash witchy shop in Polk County, Arkansas. Now, these guys are pretty harmless. You'll usually see an altar set up in someone's house, or maybe wearing a Mjolnir necklace, but never causing physical harm to anybody. It's pretty socially acceptable now, even in the Bible Belt. But it wasn't always that way. In 1993, three children were found murdered in West Memphis, Arkansas. Three teenage boys, supposedly Satanists, were possibly wrongly convicted of the crime, leading to a celebrity movement for justice. This is the story of the West Memphis Three and the Satanic Panic of West Memphis, Arkansas. Coming up on Unnatural Acts in the Natural State. Brought to you by Mike's Auto and Diesel. Give them a call at 479-234-9513. A maniac. A raving thing. The cruel eyes studying you. There is a fifth dimension. Beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow. Between science and superstition and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. We all go a little mad sometimes. This is Unnatural Acts in the Natural State. West Memphis is the largest city in Crittenden County, Arkansas. As of 2010, the census shows a population of 26,245, ranking it our 18th largest city behind Bella Vista. It's part of the Memphis metropolitan area and is located directly across the Mississippi River from Memphis, Tennessee. This was the home of three teenage boys, Jesse Miskelly Jr., Jason Baldwin, and Damian Eccles. These boys have been dubbed the West Memphis Three. These guys are kind of what we would call goth or emo. You know, they dress in black, they wear chains, etc. Honestly, it kind of seems like we would have been friends. I mean, they had long hair, I have long hair. They liked metal, I too am a connoisseur of the art. Anyway, the point is, they were kind of outcasts, the weirdos. They enjoyed the darker side of alternative culture, and Damien Eccles in particular even expressed interest in the occult, specifically Aleister Crowley. But the boys weren't anything necessarily out of the ordinary. Plenty of teenagers go through a phase where they listen to heavy music and wear dark clothes. Then, on May 6, 1993, three eight-year-olds named Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore are found dead, murdered in the forests surrounding Robin Hood Hills in West Memphis, Arkansas. Autopsies soon reveal disturbing details about the crime, leading to speculation of a cult ritual sacrifice. Unnatural Axe will be right back after this word from our sponsor. Hey man, do you have automotive problems? You gotta stop by Mike's Auto and Diesel at 918 Highway 71 South here in Mina. You know, the building with the wing mural on the side. Mike and Sarah Slay, that's right, their name is Slay. They're your go-to guys for all your automotive repair needs. Mike, a Texas transplant, started working on cars in 1970 in his dad's shop when he was only seven years old. He rebuilt his first motor when he was only 12. But just because he grew up in his dad's shop in Texas doesn't mean he doesn't know Mina. He's been coming here for years since he was a kid. 
Mike and Sarah Slay love Mina and the wonderful community here, and they're ready to work for you. He's an ASE certified master, senior L1 advanced level service technician. Now, I don't know what that means myself, but I think it means my man knows his stuff. They do everything from classic cars to modern cars, heavy equipment like tractors to small engines. If you can drive it, they can fix it. He also does stuff like AC and heating, electrical work, and even rebuilds carburetors, which nobody in Mina does. And he does it well, man. Man, are you tired of that six-week waiting time you got with other shops? Mike's Auto and Diesel does it in a day. So get on over there to Mike's Auto and Diesel at 918 Highway 71 South here in Mina. The shop with that big jacked up car in the front and the angel wing mural on the side of the building. Give them a call at 479-234-9513. Again, that's 479-234-9513. Check them out on Facebook at Mike's Auto and Diesel. And ask them about their Dogecoin and cryptocurrency. Man, they're crazy about that stuff. Mike's Auto and Diesel. They slay the competition. Eh? Hey, you see what I did there? Because their last name is Slay? I thought it was funny. Anyway, now back to the show. In May of 1993 in West Memphis, Arkansas, three eight-year-old boys, Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore were found dead, drowned in a creek behind Robin Hood Hills. Their autopsies report that they were hogtied, bound by their ankles and wrists using their shoelaces. They also had strange lacerations, bite marks, and mutilated genitals. The nature of the damage to the bodies was so strange that it led authorities to believe that they were the victim of an occult ritual. The supposed culprits? Jesse Miskelly, Jason Baldwin, and Damian Eccles. It's worth mentioning that these three teenagers, they were literally kids. Jesse was 17, Jason was 16, and Damian was only 18 years old. Despite not having any concrete evidence, DNA evidence, or anything else leading the court to firmly believe that the three did it, they were all convicted of the murders of the children. So what would make them justify convicting these teenagers? Two things, really. First, when Damien Eccles was being interviewed as a suspect, he admitted to being interested in Aleister Crowley and the occult. That information definitely swayed the court's opinion. The other thing that hurt their case was actually how the children were tied up. See, each of the children were tied up in different knots, leading the court to believe that there was more than one perpetrator involved. To me, that's the only thing that makes sense for the three to be suspects. I mean, wrangling and tying up three kids would be damn near impossible for one person to do. But still, that could have been any three people. They had no real reason to believe that these three did it. Despite that, though, the three were convicted. Baldwin and Miskelly are sentenced to life in prison. Eccles? Sentenced to death all without any concrete evidence supporting claims that these three actually did it. This type of situation was actually more common than you might think. At the time, so-called satanic panic was kind of sweeping the nation. There were several things like murders and burglary that were blamed on, quote, Satanist and the occult. The severity of this case just so happened to have a lot more attention called to it. I mean, some people believe that these three were convicted based almost solely on their music taste. Let me tell you, that freaks me out because I can almost guarantee that I listened to a lot heavier music than they did. But this did spark a movement with both the public and several celebrities. When Hollywood found out about the case, they had massive support from a plethora of musicians, actors, artists, etc. This included Natalie Maines of the Dixie Chicks, Pearl Jam lead singer Eddie Vedder, and even Johnny Depp. This movement demanded action in favor of the boys. Crowds rallied together, celebrities raised their voices, and documentaries were made. Crazy thing, this actually worked. After sitting in prison for almost two decades, the three were released to the free world. But it wasn't that easy. The three were actually given the option to take something called an Alfred plea. This essentially means that they pled guilty and they were granted their freedom because of that. But this still begs the question, if the three 
were innocent who did murder the three young boys. Possibly Mr. Bojangles. Okay, I know. That sounds weird, but hear me out. So, a young mother named Vicki Hutchinson visits the West Memphis Police Department for reasons that are actually unrelated to the Robin Hood Hills murder. While she's there, though, she asks the police if they'd like to talk to her son, Aaron Hutchinson. Aaron was friends with the three boys who were missing. At this point, they hadn't been confirmed dead yet. Little Aaron Hutchinson claimed that on the day that the boys went missing and were later murdered, he saw Michael Moore, one of the murdered children, talking to a tall, slender black man outside of their school. Hutchinson claims that this man was fervently trying to coax Moore to get into his car and, quote, give him a ride home. Again, this is the same Wednesday that they went missing. It's possible that when Michael refused, this man followed him home, and when he went to go play with his friends, he followed them into the woods and murdered them. That's a pretty crazy claim, right? Well, that same night that the boys went missing, an unidentified man stumbled into a Bojangles restaurant. He was a tall, slender black man and covered in mud, as if he was walking through the woods, and his clothes were stained with blood. This matches the description that Hutchinson gave, but to this day, this man, nicknamed Mr. Bojangles, has never been identified. Another theory is that a man named Edward Edwards killed him. He has two first names, and that sounds like a red flag to me already. Anyway, this man was first proposed to be the killer by a retired detective named John Cameron. Cameron calls Ed Edwards the, quote, most prolific serial killer you've never heard of. He actually blames a lot of the most famous murders on this guy. I mean, the West Memphis Three, of course, the Black Dahlia murder, and he even claims that the Zodiac killer was Ed Edwards. I mean, he's written more than one book about how Ed Edwards is the culprit to all of these huge unsolved cases. He doesn't really give any evidence, though. Edwards wanted to be famous. If he really was the murderer behind the West Memphis Three, or any of these other murders for that matter, I would imagine he tried to cash in on that as much as possible, especially with all the celebrities and all the people talking about it. I mean, he admitted to killing his own foster son for insurance money. Now, he was a serial killer. There's no doubt about that. I just don't think that there's enough evidence to support calling him the culprit. Another theory suggests that maybe the killer was John Mark Byers. That name, Byers, is familiar, right? That's because he's the father of Christopher Byers, one of the boys who was murdered. Okay, so after the boys were killed, a series of documentaries called Paradise Lost were made about the incident. John Mark Byers is in the documentary and acts a little off. One thing he does is remove all of his teeth. Weird, right? But why would he do this, and what does it have to do with the case? Well, if you remember, the boys who were murdered were all found with bite marks on their bodies. Police investigators can match the shape of the bite marks to whoever they belong to. It's awful suspicious that John Mark Byers removes his teeth after the incident occurred. Maybe he was trying to hide something. It gets even more suspicious when he lies to the police, saying that he had his teeth removed months before the murders, when, in reality, it was four years after the murders. This is so weird to me, because why would he wait four years to remove his teeth? If he had murdered the boys, wouldn't he want to do it immediately after the murders? But also, if he was innocent, why would he lie? John Mark Byers had a history of drug abuse and possession charges. Some people say that he was lying and acting weird to hide that kind of illegal activity. I don't know, it's still pretty sketchy to me. But let's be honest here, it's very possible that he was acting bizarre because his kid was just brutally murdered. I wouldn't expect anybody to be the same after that. Maybe the incident just changed him. It's also worth mentioning that he was incredibly distraught when the boys went missing. Like, when the investigation first started, he was in the woods all night looking for them. And he was even on the cops' asses calling for more action to be taken in the investigation. Kind of suspicious, but would he really want more police to be looking where the children were? I'm, I'm really not sure about this one. 
Another one of the children's guardians, though, is also theorized to be the killer. The supposed murderer in question is Stevie Branch's stepfather, Terry Hobbs. Hobbs was never actually formally interviewed by the police, even though he was known to have a somewhat violent temper. His ex-wife even accused him of beating her. This isn't enough, of course, to accuse him of murder, though. But a neighbor claims to have seen him going after the boys as they were riding their bikes into the woods the day of the murder. He was calling for them to come home, and she reports that the boys actually did come back to Hobbs. If this is true, that would make him the last person to be seen with the boys before they were murdered. His alibi for where he was also doesn't really check out. He claims that he spent the evening of the murders with a friend of his, David Jacoby. Hobbs claims that he came to Jacoby to search for the boys and that they left together. However, Jacoby claims that when Terry got there, they just hung out and played guitar for a few hours. It was only after they finished their jam sesh when Hobbs actually told David that the boys were missing. So Hobbs says he's going to go home and change his clothes and that he'd swing back by to pick them up so that they could look for the kids together. But Hobbs never came back. I mean, hours went by and several people were in the woods looking for the kids, calling out their names loud enough for them to hear it. Interestingly enough, nobody there remembers Terry Hobbs in the woods looking for the kids. Additionally, Stevie's aunt says that the day the boys went missing, Terry was obsessively cleaning everything, including Stevie's room, and doing laundry. She noticed the peculiarity of it because Terry wasn't particularly known for his cleanliness, nor was he the type to help his wife with the housework. So, unfortunately, this case hasn't been solved yet. But in December of 2021, new evidence that was previously thought to be lost on fire had been brought forward. The shoelaces that were used to tie up the boys. Now, just shy of 30 years later, that evidence can be DNA tested. Not only could this prove the innocence of the West Memphis Three, but it could also bring forward the identity of the real murderer. Since his release, Damien Eccles is doing pretty good for himself, I'd say. He's an accomplished author, releasing seven books about everything from his side of the story to how-to books about ceremonial magic. Yeah, you heard me right. Eccles spent 18 years in prison and spent most of that time studying magic and not the pull a rabbit out of a hat type. He actually has a book expected to come out in April of this year called Ritual, an essential grimoire where he, along with his co-author, Lori Davis, will quote, share a beginner-friendly treasury of their most valuable practices for weaving magic into your everyday life. Now, while the description of everything he does and has written about seems relatively harmless, it definitely doesn't help his case against the ritual sacrifice theories. You can actually find him talking about a lot of things. He has a YouTube channel where he's relatively active. He does live streams that are hours long where he talks about magic and it's pretty fascinating if you're into that type of thing. So, whether you think the West Memphis Three are innocent or satanic murderers, I think it's universally agreed that this has become one of the most controversial true crime cases to ever come out of Arkansas. In researching for this episode, I found that this subject is extremely polarizing. Is it possible that these guys were wrongly imprisoned for 20 years? Or is it possible that these teenagers killed three small children as a sacrifice to Satan? Hey, thanks for listening to Unnatural Acts in the Natural State. Be sure to follow us and other awesome shows on Facebook, Instagram, MySpace. Well, probably not in MySpace. But check us out. We're the Washita Podcast. That's podcast plural. Also, be sure to check out the other amazing shows at thewashitapodcast.com. That's again, podcast plural. With an S. At the end of it. Someone should really look into that MySpace thing. Brought to you by Mike's Auto and Diesel. 
Give them a call at 479-234-9513. For research for this episode, I used an investigation discovery documentary about the case. And as much as I don't like BuzzFeed, I used an interview with Damian Eccles that they did, as well as 5 News and, of course, Encyclopedia of Arkansas. Those guys seriously deserve a medal for the work that they do for Arkansas history. They've been a major resource for the show. Links for my sources are, as always, in the description. Script written by and all audio production by myself, Trey Youngdahl. Check out my website, treyoungdahl.com. That's T-R-E-Y-Y-O-U-N-G-D-A-H-L.com. Follow me on Facebook at Trey Youngdahl. Again, that's T-R-E-Y-Y-O-U-N-G-D-A-H-L. Keep the shameless plug going by following me on Instagram at youngish.trey. That's Y-O-U-N-G-I-S-H dot Trey. Credit for the episode idea goes to Destiny Nagel. I hope I'm saying your name right. I actually tossed around the idea of doing an episode about it a while back at the beginning of the season, but it kind of fell by the wayside. Until, that is, she overheard a conversation between me and a friend of mine named Gray about the show. She recommended it, and I'm so glad she did so that I could cover the story before the end of the season. Speaking of that... I am hereby announcing that the next episode of Unnatural Acts in the Natural State will be the last of the season. I can't say for sure that it will be the last episode ever, because I like the idea of reviving the show. But at least for now, Unnatural Acts will be put to sleep. I'll talk a little bit more about why in the next episode, but for now, I just want to say thank you for the love and support, and stay tuned for the next episode. I have something pretty rad planned, and I think you're really going to dig it. But for now, remember to stay safe and stay spooky.